BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hello and welcome to the Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast. I am Jason and with me is Rich. Hello, Rich. What's going on? Well, we are enjoying the, we have enjoyed the first two episodes of the Last Dance documentary about Michael Jordan and the 1997-98 Bulls. Really um, expanding really way beyond, you know, those Bulls and, and really a retelling of, you know, the career of Michael Jordan, career of Scottie Pippen. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm sure getting into some of the key players as well. You know, I'm sure we could get more on Phil Jackson, more on Jerry Krause, more on um, Jerry Reinsdorf, I imagine. But, um, you know, obviously some really interesting stuff here. Um, and, and, you know, a lot that we knew, but uh, some I, I learned at least a few new things and certainly, um, you know, just getting the footage of, you know, all the stuff that's happening in 97 and 98 and, you know, digging into the archives. It's a really fun time. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, I, I, I'm somebody who's probably seen, I think, every one of the you know, Bulls documentaries over the years, all the Jordan documentaries all over the years. I was basically raised you know, on those documentaries in my life. And there's sure. still stuff that I've never seen before. I know I've never seen before. And I've seen, I mean, there's four or five different, like, you know, prominent Michael Jordan documentaries out there, Bulls documentaries or those, you know, end of the year documentary things. And there's still a lot of stuff because, you know, usually a lot of those are, you know, what's going on on the court, what's going on in, in, in plain sight of, you know, the press and what's going on in plain sight of everybody else. But this is the first time you've seen a lot of the backstage stuff and seen a lot of, you know, behind the curtain and behind the, you know, before they get out to the, the, the courts and on the bus and in Paris and that sort of stuff. So it's really cool to kind of see that stuff. And it's, it's pretty amazing that a lot of this footage was basically under lock and key for, you know, two decades at this point. Uh, and now it's kind of out and, and, and in the open. And it, it's come at a perfect time in our lives as well because this, this was really cool because it did feel like an event that, like, everybody I knew was watching it. Like, all my friends were watching it. Everybody on Twitter was watching it. Everybody that, like, any, my parents are like, hey, are you watching it? You know, one of those things where it's really cool that everybody kind of 
kind of comes together because there's so few things in our life right now that are like this, you know, you know, now where we can all just universally watch something and react to something and, and live through something at the same time. Uh, so it was a perfect timing for this uh, as well, but I, I really enjoyed the first two episodes. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you know, I had some skepticism of when this first announced, I'm like, okay, a 10 part series about this. Like, haven't we like already gone over this? And uh, you know, I, you can kind of approach this sort of thing in two ways. You can fully tell the story or you can perpetuate the myth. And I think so far I'm seeing a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. I, I'd say so as well. Yeah. One of my, one of my, you know, initial worries with this and, and anybody who ever, you know, anybody who ever listens to the over my classic NBA podcast, know that we're not, you know, if you're here for, you know, worship of Michael Jordan, you might want to, you know, go elsewhere. That's never what we've done. And I think we've always been fair with him. And that, that's what I, that's why I always ask of everybody is just be fair with his legacy. Talk about sure. one of the, one of, if not the greatest basketball players of all time, none of us are going to argue that <laughs> Jason and I are not going to say, Oh no, you know what? Barely, you yeah. know, barely the top 10 or, yeah, you know, like, right. no, he's one of the greatest players of all time. And if you said he was yeah. the greatest player of all time, I'm not going to argue with you ever. I would be the stupidest well, I, argument I, I, ever. I have to say now knowing that he willingly went golfing with um, Danny <laughs> kind of now, you know, I, I'm not really under consideration anymore. That's true. Now, now officially, because Kareem's yeah. Kareem's would never hang out with Danny fucking age. Even no, for two no seconds way. of his no life. Way. So you're right. No, Kareem no. now officially uh, the greatest yeah. baseball player of all time. We can now officially yeah. say that right so, here, but no, like, yeah, yeah. But that's not us. I mean, we're we're not the, you know kind of those cheerleaders or whatnot. But we want stuff to be fair and 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 whatnot. And I think you know that was my worry, and and I do hope that we see a little bit more of. I, I think you saw a little bit of it here. You know, the Scott Burrell. No, yeah. I'm not going to give you a hug thing. The you know screaming right. at, at at teammates or whatnot. But all of it was done so far under the guise of oh, this guy just really wanted to win, or he just really wanted to win yeah. uh, a championship. But we know that people that have played with them, people that at the time, if we've read the Jordan rules, we know you know it. It, for a lot of guys, it wasn't, oh, yeah, no, he just wanted to win. A lot of guys, it was very, very, like, annoying and very bad and, like, you know, yeah. Kukoc and stuff. We, we haven't heard yet from Tony Kukoc, which I'm kind of surprised uh, whatsoever. Right. Really, the, 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 the one thing, and, and we'll get to it when we kind of, you know, do a breakdown of the episodes, is it felt like so far we haven't really – I don't think I've learned anything new about Michael Jordan that I didn't already know. Maybe there's some other people that are that way. But right now, he is just the competitor that really wants to win and, and, and is doing everything he can to win and, and yada, yada, yada. And there's all this turmoil going around and around the Bulls. That's that's what we have so far with this documentary. Michael Jordan is basically right. the same as he's always been. And now let's shine a light on Jerry Krause and and what he was doing to the team and Scottie Pippen and why he wanted to retire and stuff. We haven't even delved into to Rodman at all. We haven't even gotten to Kukoc right. and all that sort of stuff. So, sure. we, I mean, it's the first two episodes of 10. Obviously, there's plenty of time to tell the story. Right. Uh, but sure. so far, I don't know that you and I or people that are really astute basketball fans quote unquote learned all that much in these two episodes, even if they were really, really well done. Yeah, no. And, and, and I agree. And I, I think the, and I, yeah, as you said, we'll be talking about those players, uh, you know, uh, in the future, but you know, as far as Jordan, yeah, I, I, the negative stuff, I think for the most part, as you talked about is under the guise of, Oh, he's a competitor. Oh, he really just wants to mm-hmm. win. Oh, he just really, so that's why he yells at his teammates. And that's why he's, you know, jerk to people around him, you know, in 86, you know, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit um, with the injury, you know, talking about the fight with management. It's like, oh, I just really want to get out. Yeah. You know, I, I, I want to get out there. I was ready, you know, all, all that kind of stuff without getting into the, like, Oh, maybe it would have actually been a better idea for him not to play the rest of that year. You, you know, that, 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 that kind of stuff. And, I, and I, it's definitely, um, 
I, I think the one thing that you're getting a little bit um, that's a little bit more on the negative end is the, um, the the fact that he and Pippin, you know, were picking on Krauss a lot and, and calling him names and stuff. And he, you, you got a sense of that treatment a little bit. But I think it's more – it's definitely less favorable to Krauss than it is to Jordan Pippin in right. terms of, you know, um, he – you know, he, he's talked about Bray negatively, you know, they, they do bring up, okay, yeah, he did a good job building the team. And that, that is really, I mean, that's kind of the legacy of, of Kraus is like, he mostly did a legit great job as general manager right. of building and sustaining that team of, you know, putting the pieces around Jordan, put getting Grant, getting Pippen, um, you know, making all the right moves later, you know, um, trading Oakley for Cartwright, um, you know, getting Steve Kerr, you know, getting Rodman for basically nothing, you know, that, that kind of stuff. He, he did that, but right. Signing Ku coach, you know, right, when, yeah. when actively the other teammates did not want they, him, they mainly want Jordan right. Pippen. Yeah. yeah. yeah and, and most of those moves that he did were not like very few of them were slam dunk moves. A lot of them, you know, you know, Pippen and Grant were basically, you know, especially Pippen was plucked out of obscurity. So, yeah. um, but, you know, he did this incredible job as general manager for the most part with the huge caveat of alienating the biggest star in NBA history um, and, you know, m- pretty much every other player and one of the greatest coaches in history. You know, with the understanding that, you know, all these guys were complicated, difficult personalities, um, uh, you know, and, um, you know, and had their own agendas as well. So, you know, it, it wasn't like he was like, you know, alienating the nicest guys ever. They, all these guys, you know, they're complicated people, right. as we all are. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think you and, and, and you wrote this in, in our notes. We'll get to it here in a little bit, uh, in a little bit more detail. But you did mention one interesting quote where, you know, Jerry Reinsdorf talks about, oh, you know, Krause was getting in the way and, 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 and like, you know, he wasn't getting along with Jordan. He wasn't getting along with Jackson. He wasn't doing all this sort of stuff. And, and you kind of yeah. posed the question, well, like if, if Reinsdorf knew that this all wasn't working and that if Krause was getting in the way, like, why didn't he just get rid of Krause or why didn't he do something? And the real easy answer to that is, and throughout this documentary, it's been pretty uh, apparent that this is the direction we're going to go here is, you know, being the public face or the, you know, representative of Jerry Reinsdorf takes on a certain thing as well. Let's yes, not let right. Jerry Krause, you know, I'm sure Jerry yeah. Reinsdorf wasn't saying, you know, hey, you know what, you know, yeah, let, let's let's work out this deal with Pippen. Or let's find a way to scrap right. up the contract and give him, you know, 20 million more dollars or let's, you know, hey, yeah, screw it. Let's give Phil Jackson a nine year deal. Like I, I live under, you know, the Jerry Reinsdorf. I, I'm a White Sox fan. I'm a Bulls fan. I understand sure. life with Jerry Reinsdorf. I've been living life with Jerry Reinsdorf with the John Pax and the Gar Pax, like the, the post Thibodeau era, the, the Tim Floyd. Like I've lived all that. You know, it's not that easy. It's not an easy job, and a lot of men have not succeeded where Jerry Krause has did succeed, I, I should say, uh, in light of a lot of the way that Jerry Reinsdorf wants to approach. So I do find it a little annoying that, like, the guy who's dead and can't defend himself is the one that we're like, hey, look at this right. asshole. And yeah. Jerry Reinsdorf, who's here and can say, oh, yeah, yeah, no, this is what this was, and that was that. It's kind of everything's, you know, good, and, 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 and you know, nobody really cares about that, and and. I, I, I knew that was going to happen because it always happens in this case because Jerry sure. Cross is an easy guy to pick on and whatnot. But right. um, I am a little worried that we're just going to get like very heavy into the uh, Jerry Cross thing. And, and the only thing I would say is I do hope that they do show maybe how awful those guys were to him. Because anybody who was around in the locker rooms was like, yeah, Jordan would just needle this guy about his weight every day. Call him crumbs, right. you know, call him fat. Yeah. You know, there was a little bit there yeah. where he's going like, oh, you're so short or hey, those diet pills. or whatever. Yeah. And it was just like this real little one or whatever. But like people said, like, you know, Pippen and, and Jordan and then by proxy, the team all just 
said, oh, well, you can just make fun of this guy and call him fat and call him short and call him stupid and call him weird looking and ugly and all that sort of stuff. And people just took, you know, pleasure in doing that. And and yeah. that's a pretty awful thing. Like, I think in 2020, we now know how awful that is. But sure. um, I do see the narrative kind of going around already. Like, ah, Jared Krause, what an asshole. Or, ah, he looks like the guy from Space Jam. Or, ah, da, da, all that sort of stuff. So I'm, I'm not yeah. shocked that that's what it's kind of become. I mean, just go look at Michael Jordan's Hall of Fame speech if you want to see that this has kind of been Jordan's MO from, you know, pretty much day one. And we see literally year two of his Bulls tenure is pretty much the uh, anti-Jerry Krause thing from, from, from day one there. So, Yes. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a good point. Yeah, and, and I, you know, I, I think they're getting, I would say like ten, like ten percent positive of Kraus, ninety percent negative of Kraus so far. You know, um, and we'll see how that evolves as the documentary evolves. But I, I'm, I'm kind of guessing that they're definitely setting that tone. It might be hard to over, um, overcome that tone. And you know, and and Kraus, you know, could be a really difficult guy to get uh, to deal with too. I mean, you know, there are there's legitimate. Oh no, yeah, he wasn't. I mean, he was yeah, terrible but, at, at like knowing how to oh, interact with human basically. beings yeah, yeah, right. like, yeah. he was he not was, good right he was not good yeah he did a lot of dumb things that you know, got in his own way and you know deteriorated his relationships with people he, he's certainly at fault for all that stuff but um yeah it like i said it's it's very complicated so um so bulls traveling cocaine circus we got uh as a phrase <laughs> um tonight which was which is beautiful which is it is uh very interesting um interestingly handled for for those um who don't recall, this is in reference to the uh, 85 team that Jordan joined, you know, as, as a rookie, of course, in 84 and 85. Um, and, uh, you know, Jordan laughed at that description of it. So apparently there was a newspaper um, writer who came up with that. They were not named. Um, and uh, he laughed at the idea. He, he told a story about going into – or knocking on the door of a hotel room and then going in and seeing basically most of the team and seeing, you know, cocaine and weed and women. Uh, he was very clear that he did not partake, that he didn't even drink at the time, that he preferred to like fold his laundry and, um, you know, do stuff at home. I am thinking that that story is probably a little more complicated. Not that I'm accusing you know Jordan of using cocaine, but I I'm guessing that, given what we know about Jordan's lifestyle later that I just, I'm, I'm, I have some doubts that he was uh, playing it completely straight at that point, but uh, definitely the, the, the first time where we really get into, um, you know, s- some of the dirt of the NBA at the time. Yeah. Oh yeah. And that team is, it was, was even notorious at that time right. as well as like the joke around the league was like, yeah, these dudes are all just like, <laughs> it was a partying team and uh, wasn't right. very good on the court. Obviously, which how they were able to get uh, Michael Jordan. They, I think they still they did limp their way into the playoffs at that time too, which I think was a pretty yeah. funny thing that everybody kind of, uh, I was, I was watching and you know, following the, the conversation on Twitter. And there's a lot of people that maybe don't know about NBA history or haven't followed or whatever. And people can't believe that these bulls teams that won, you know, 38 and 30 games, games made the playoffs and it's like yeah well, everybody made. like right. and yeah. we've, we've done you know podcasts about that of, of like sure. that era of the nba it was a little weird and like you anybody there was like three teams that didn't make the playoffs i think in, in both leagues right. so right. uh wasn't super yeah. hard but yeah it is kind of funny but no that that was uh, i did enjoy the little bit of uh, a look back at uh the, that era uh, of Bulls basketball, a little George Gervin sighting as well. And just, you see oh, the yeah. crowd and there's like literally like 300 people there. <laughs> I know. Like, yeah. My dad told me that too. Like when he was like, you know, watching, you know, he was like, yeah, before Jordan, man. I mean, like I, we got Bulls tickets 
and like at one of his jobs they they had like bowl season tickets and it was like yeah i guess i'll go <laughs> and he said we went like right. twice a year but more times than not nobody went and they just went because like sometimes beer was like a dollar or something like that it was like never to see basketball they had never wanted to see that team and they were just a you know the 70s bulls solid team you, you know yeah. really con- right not like super contenders but but in the mix there for for a few years Man, sure. from like the late seventies to the eighties, just just nothing. Man. Right, just a lot of Orlando Woolrich, unfortunately. So, right, yes, yeah, Orlando Woolrich, Quentin Daly, you know, that's, a lot of Dave uh, Corzine, a lot of Dave Corzine, yeah, at that time. Yeah, yeah, Dave Greenwood, yeah, you know. I can't imagine um, Dave Corzine having. Uh, he must have been a weed guy. I can't imagine Dave Corzine as a coke guy. No, but, I, I <laughs> or a woman guy. You know, yeah. Dave Corzine's like, look, I don't put that stuff in my body, but I will. No, absolutely, <laughs> like. Right. <laughs> I'm so sorry if Dave Corzine or the, the estate so, of Dave Corzine right. is listening to this. So yes, uh, yes, um, yes. So um, yeah, I mean, we we you know we're we're bouncing around a lot um, narratively here. I mean, we're the, the focus obviously we're we're moving through the months in '97, '98. Um, you know, they talk about winning the title in '97. Pretty openly even even Reinsdorf admitted that they you know pretty seriously considered a rebuild between 97 and 98 to so even before 98 you know they the uh negotiations with Phil Jackson for an extension were pretty um contentious eventually Kraus got out of the way and then Reinsdorf and um and Jackson were able to negotiate that themselves um but they made it clear. Cross made it clear. Only one more year, and then he's gone. Um, Jordan, you know, put a line in the sand and saying, you know, if, if Phil's not coaching this team, I'm not going to play. Um, so it was pretty clear that it was his last year. They openly admitted to, um, you know, shopping Pippen, which you know made him extremely upset. I mean, of course, that had been building for years and years because of you know that this was not the first time they had, you know, uh, considered trades for him and. Uh, been perpetually underpaid for you know the past um you know six seven years so um you know all that frustration but yeah i i i remember you know going into the season that you know yeah yeah everyone was pretty sure this was going to be the last Mm -hmm. year but i i'd forgotten some of those details of how like you know explicit like they they were about like oh yeah we might not even bring this back in 98 yeah that's actually honestly my my original memories of that as growing up as a kid and just kind of hearing and reading you know i was i was Believe it or not, not the coolest kid in the world. So I read a lot of newspapers and books. At all right, time, I remember. Yeah. So I know it's a shock to you, Jason. Hard to believe. Yeah. Absolute <laughs> shock of all it's shocks. Cool that, that I wasn't yeah. super, super cool yeah. and, and really into right. reading and, and stuff. But um, I do remember at the time that '97, it did feel, and and you even get that like they. they and I'm glad they showed that the. Um, the, the clip as well where Jordan is, you know, putting on his championship hat and getting ready and people are like, yeah, so uh, this thing's not coming back tomorrow next year, right? Or like, hey, what's going right. on for next year? Like already. Yeah. And, and you can tell Jordan. And, and I remember that 97 team and that 97 year was so exhausting because it was already like, oh, this might be it. That might be it. You know, yeah. Jordan's got no deal and Pippen, you know, he doesn't want to be here and Jackson's got no deal. And it, it almost did. I do remember at the time it almost did feel like that 97 team was it, that that was going to be all. Um, and I remember how cathartic it was when they won at home and it was like, ah, okay, you know what, if this is it and this is the final one, that's pretty cool that, that this is how they're going to go out at home. And, and yeah, you, you hear the quote from Jordan where he's just like, I, I mean, I'm, I don't know what's going to happen next year. I, and, and, and yeah, like, you know, Jackson halfway through the summer, we were talking in July until they sign him and, and bring him back. So I do remember that 97 year being so like wrought with like, oh geez, this could be it. That's going to be it. And it did feel so good that they finally won. It was like, okay, let's go. And then they, when they ran it back in 98, 
was almost like, and, and I do remember the tone around Chicago at the same time too, was like, it was almost exhausting. It was almost like, ah, oh, geez, we got to do this all over again now. <laughs> like this right. whole thing where yeah. every game is a referendum on, oh my God, is this team ever going to do it? And, 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 you know, we'll, and I'm sure, it'll, I'm sure they'll get to it in this documentary as well, but it almost when, when they finally won in 98, it was a sense of relief. Like, oh, we're finally done with this. Not that, oh, it, yeah, I'm glad we're finally done winning championships, but because every day and every game and every moment and every playoff series and every shot was like this, oh, my God. Because it felt like if they don't win, it's like, oh, geez, what a horrible story this was. You know, right. well, oh, geez. Yeah. Like, and that's why 97 was like so cool. It was like, oh, cool. They won. They won at home. If this is it, what a great way to go out. Whereas 98, it's like, oh, man, what if they lose in the first round? Or like, and then the team starts off bad. And it's like, oh, geez, they might not even make the playoff. You know, it was like that sort of thing where it was almost it, people weren't having fun watching the Bulls anymore because it was just like you knew it was over. And it was just kind of like it was wearing on people, I think, a lot at the time, too. Yeah. Yeah. So just almost too much trauma to the point where it's like not fun anymore because it's just so exhausting. And yeah, it, it, yeah it's interesting because. Yeah, I mean, the Jordan and the Bulls never really lost, you know, and I mean, obviously, you know, Jordan in a full season, you know, didn't lose after 91. Um, you know, we 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 passed on 95 a little bit, but um, yeah, it obviously would have changed the Jordan story. I mean, I, you know, if they lost in 98, you know, as, as great as five championships in seven years would have been, you know, it would have lost a little bit of something. It would have shown some, um, you know, a little bit of um, – you know, a flaw, a little bit of, you know, a flaw at the end of the story in, in, in terms of the Bulls. They weren't invincible anymore. You know, they, they could claim to be kind of be invincible if Jordan played a full season. And that would not have been the case in 98, despite, of course, them being on the short list of the most accomplished NBA teams of all time. Right. Yeah, it just it, it aesthetically works so much better with like the, the, the two three peats. Yeah, six exactly. titles. I don't know why. It's just five's weird. You know, it's five's like, ah, you know, six, right. for some reason, six, it, 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 I don't know. It just feels like a nice I round think number or something. I don't I, know why. I think we're just so used to, we're just so used to six that anything else. Right, right. Yeah. Imagine. Yeah. I, I get what you're saying. But yeah. Um, so yeah, a few more notes about the episode. Uh, enjoyed uh, Jordan saying that the uh, transition uh, to the league in 84 was pretty easy. Yeah. That was, uh, that was a funny line. Um, you know, the, um, you know, the, the, some of the 97 stuff with, um, you know, t- teasing his teammates in France. Um, they're, they're playing in the, um, the uh, McDonald's all American or not, not McDonald's all American game, but Mc- I think it's a McDonald's Paris challenge or I forget the exact name of it, but uh, they play an exhibition game over there. And, um, you know, uh, Jordan and Rodman are there, but Pippen's um, not there. Or I'm sorry, I don't think Rodman was there. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, you get a plane. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think you get touched Rodman Rod- right. to Paris. Rodman, nineteen ninety eight. Yeah, Rodman played. I think pretty much the whole year. I, he I did. Yeah, he, yeah. I just don't think he could but... actually go across uh, country lines at that point. Maybe <laughs> not. Yes. No. Fred doesn't allow it in. And yes. So, uh, of course, you know, Scott Bro wanting a hug, uh, getting it from uh, Ron Harper, but not getting it from Jordan. Yeah. Um, good. good on Ron Harper for giving the man a hug. So, yeah, I guess you know, Scott Bro just wants a hug, man. You know, that's uh, that's all. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm sure this is going to dive into it more, but you get the sense of, you know, Phil Jackson um, only talks kind of a little bit in the first couple episodes, but. You know, I, he'll be very much part, I think, sort of feeding the ugliness between the players and management as sort of the kind of the go between there. Mm-hmm. But as using the we hate management as a motivational tactic, which I think maybe even added to the tension between players and management, you know, um, oh, for sure. And, yeah. And, and, you know, and Phil kind of also like, you know, adding to his control and to his power, you know, kind of doing that uh 
is interesting. Um, and that's an old uh, school sports. Th- I mean, that uh, you can fool yeah. yourself. You don't think that even happens today that, you know, oh, yeah, coaches course, yeah. will say, Hey, look, those guys don't, you know, the guys in that office up there think that we can't do this, but we're going to show them, you sure. know, we can do it. I mean, yeah, it happens all the time. And that's absolutely, yeah. Uh, Phil Jackson yeah. absolutely perpetuated that whether it was true or false or whatever, or added or stoked the flames or whatever. He used that as, yeah. as Hey, look, that asshole thinks that we're, we're we can't do this, but let's prove him wrong or whatever. Because you know, if he just says, "Yeah, they they don't think this," and who cares? And we're all out of here afterwards. That's not you know, that's not showy. That's not going to do anything. But the motivation is, hey, let's prove that asshole wrong. Let's show him that he's an idiot and he doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. So let's go. Yeah, I I, I think I I feel like it. You know, from from the 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 books I've I've read and, and so forth, I feel like it's shifted from motivational to manipulative mm-hmm. in a way that, that filled it. And I, hopefully they'll dive into that more in the documentary. I'm sure they, well, they one, will. one thing I did want to mention, sorry, before, before we moved on to, uh, sure. you know, and this was a fun aspect where they talk about the draft and I'm, I'm glad that they didn't go too much into the like Sam Bowie thing. Cause that, I was right. a little worried about that too. Cause it's like, all right, right. We, we all know that we know. Yes. Sam Bowie is, is not yeah. as good of a player as Michael Jordan. We got it. We right. know that. So I was yeah. glad that they just said, Hey, so they drafted Sam Bowie cause they had Clyde Jackson. Okay. Then the bulls got, you know, I was glad we just, Got away from that, but uh, one fun thing that I always love about that, and when they show the graphic of the 1984 NBA draft or whatever, and they show you know the second overall pick is Portland via Indiana, and I'm always because I know a lot of people don't know about this as well. And it just shows you how little, uh, or maybe how horrible GMs were at the time, and how right. little they regarded draft picks. Is uh, Indiana Pacers they traded that. F- future first round pick in 1982 to the Portland Trailblazers for Tom Owens. You might not know who Tom Owens is. I understand that you have no clue who Tom Owens is. Tom Owens is a veteran player at the time. I think he was like 32 or whatever. He goes to Indiana for one season. He averages 10 points per game, retires a year later, and Indiana goes 35 and and 47 in the year that he's there as well. Can you even fat like if the Blazers draft Jordan at two and he is whatever Jordan is, can you even imagine (laughs) <laughs> you know, especially right. it being Indiana next to Chicago, trading it for Tom Owen. Like, that would have right. just been an ungodly ridiculous thing. Like, you know, similar to today how you – know, I guess you don't get it as much, but like the Baron Davis basically turned into Kyrie Irving thing for, for the Cavaliers or whatnot. There's there's right. many different examples, but I don't think anyone would have been worse than, you know, the, the Pacers trading, you know, Michael Jordan for Tom, for a season of Tom Owens. Right. A season yes. of, of 10 points per game from 32-year-old Tom Owens. So Yes. No. Uh, yes. Uh, absolutely. Um so episode two, um, it mostly focus on uh, on Scott Pippen as he's announced by David Stern <laughs> yeah. in uh, the NBA draft, and um, uh, you know the situation. We've talked about it. He's under constant trade rumors. He's 122nd in salary in '98. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, final season of a seven-year, eighteen million dollar deal that he signed in '91. You've talked about this before, but but kind of summarize. I, I I feel like this is a little bit misunderstood in terms of the way that you know it, it's kind of framed. Yeah, absolutely. And and I knew it was going to come up again when this episode was going on. The second I heard that Scottie Pippen's underpaid, I was like, ah, oh, here we go. <laughs> and make no question, he was underpaid. Nobody is arguing that Scottie Pippen was underpaid. In, in, in 1996 and 1995 and 1997 and 1998, like it was no question he was underpaid. The problem, though, is is the way that the structure of the CBA was at that time. And the, and, and, and they talk about it in, in, in uh, Reinsdorf. Uh, there's, there's a quote about that where they talk about the deal in 1991. Pippen signed a seven-year, $18 million deal. At the time, and there is, you can go look at newspaper reports at the time. You can go look at newspaper reports from 1997. This is not a quote that they just came up with for this show. Is Jerry Reinsdorf saying, if quote, if I were you, I wouldn't sign this contract. You may be selling yourself too short. It's too long a contract, and you're locking yourself in for it. 
And that was Jerry Reinsdorf telling Scottie Pippen. And Scott, make no question, Scottie Pippen was very loud and very vocal about wanting that contract when he got it as well. He wanted it right then, that year, lock it up, give me my seven years, give me my $18 million because I need that money. And I want that money and I want that guarantee. I don't want to get hurt and, and not be able to play. My back is, you know, all this sort of stuff is going on. And at the time, he was one of the top 10 paid players in the NBA, which for Scottie Pippen in 1991 is pretty radical at the time. And Scottie Pippen turned out to be a great, great player, but top 10, you know, player in the league in 1991, he wasn't quite there yet. He would be very soon, but he wasn't quite there yet. So the Bulls kind of stuck their neck out with this deal at the time. The problem that happened was is the NBA exploded in popularity over the next two years. The salary cap exploded in popularity. The money exploded. In, like, they're just the, the whole, everything that we know about the NBA as it is today kind of happened in, you know, 93, 94, 95, 96 is when everything just started going crazy. And it leads to Scottie Pippen being the 122nd, you know, salary in 1998 so they have this thing about okay negotiating contracts no coaching contracts you know renegotiate his contract you know scratch up the deal pay him do whatever and i saw a lot of that on twitter oh why didn't they just pay him or oh my god they should have just done this well as a part of the cba at that time the team was prevented from renegotiating existing contracts and jerry Krause was quoted in an article in new york times 1997 i have it up on twitter if you want to see uh overback nba on Twitter, says, quote, and this is from 1997, we'd like to pay him more money, he deserves more money, but all we could do right now is extend his contract by a maximum of 20% per year. But we know he's looking for a much larger payday than that. So they could have given him 20% above, but then it's still, then he's the 108th highest paid player in the basketball. You know, he's still underpaid. He's still criminally underpaid. So, like, the problem is, and 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 and, and they didn't address this, and I knew they weren't going to address it, because, you know, that's not sexy enough to say, look, at the time, the players had a shit CBA. They don't have that anymore. They have great CBAs. They control the CBAs. At this time, the owners control the CBAs. And, and Pippen signed a contract at the worst possible time because the NBA exploded in popularity and money, like, two years later. So he was locked into a long deal that his ownership told him not to sign at the time, he did it because he wanted the, the the peace of mind, and he signed it, and then he was kind of stuck in it because the CBA didn't allow them to completely renegotiate a contract. So it was done. The reason, though, that Scottie Pippen wanted to get traded is that the, the CBA did say that if you got traded to a new team, that that team could renegotiate your existing contract. But if you're Jerry Krause and you're Jerry Reinsdorf, you don't really want to trade Scottie Pippen. They tried. They tried like hell. They tried to uh, train, yeah. trade him to Seattle in 1994 for Sean Kemp. They tried right. like hell to trade him because they knew he was unhappy. They knew he fucking he, he couldn't stand being there anymore. They knew he felt he was underpaid, and they knew he was underpaid, so they tried to trade him. But it's hard to trade Scottie Pippen in the prime of his career, so they didn't want to do it. Pippen wanted to trade. It was this complete standoff that just was the, the, the you know kind of the culmination of a lot of bad luck, a bad CBA, and the players kind of getting fucked over in that CBA or whatever. So, like, yeah, it absolutely sucks that Scottie Pippen was the 122nd, you know, salary in, in 1998. But without knowing the context, without knowing kind of the rules at the time, I, I think it does shed a light that the Bulls were just sitting in their, you know, ivory-plated office or their gold-plated office going, ha, 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 no, we're not going to pay Pippen a dime. Screw yeah. that guy. Like, that, that, that wasn't what was going on. There's many quotes there where they understand and they know that it's it's – tenuous and it's not good but there's nothing that they could really do other than trade him and they didn't really want to trade scotty pippen they tried sure. you know they tried yeah. like hell but they wanted to get the right deal because they would have been raked over the coals if you trade scotty pippen for you know draft picks and a and, and some you know young player they, they would get killed they would get crucified for that so they were in, in, in everybody was in a no-win situation it was just a horrible sure. situation all around now a few i i mostly agree with what you're what you're saying a few a few things to, to point out is um you know, I mean, Pippen in in ninety one obviously like was he came from a you know a difficult uh you know uh, background, 
Um, didn't have a lot of money, wanted sure. to take care of his parents, a lot of medical issues and stuff. So it made, made sense for him to like want to lock in that money. Even address the documentaries like, yeah, I, you know, I know, but I, I want to lock in that money. You know, I needed to at the time. Um, they, they couldn't after 94, before 94, they could have renegotiated yeah, right, the, right, right. the deal. Like Reinsdorf has a policy of not doing that, but they could have done that. You know, maybe like, you know, they, you know, they could have paid him, you know, like not, you know, he could have been like 50th in the league in salary and wouldn't have like been thrilled about that, but would have been happier at 122nd. Maybe you don't destroy that relationship. Um, and yeah. And also, you know, again, they, they completely like, you know, like, yeah, there would, would have been benefits Pippen about, about being traded, but also like he wasn't thrilled about being traded either. Like, you know, he wasn't thrilled about being floated out there and, and, you know, there were a lot of things that were happening that were kind of disrespectful toward, you know, Pippen and his stature in the league. So, sure. um, yeah, I get why everyone wasn't happy about it. You know, obviously it, it totally makes sense. Another complicated situation. And I think they addressed it okay in the documentary, but I, I, I'm glad you added that context to it. Cause I think that is important. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I think overall, Pippen, I, you know, I had not really, I, I guess I didn't quite realize that he openly admitted, like, yeah, I delayed my surgery past the summer um, to kind of screw over management. Like, <laughs> right, I never knew that, know? too. I, I honestly yeah. thought it was just like, he tried to rehab it, and he was like, gosh darn, it's just not going to do, I need surgery. But he's literally like, yeah, I'll get surgery in, like, May. <laughs> or I'll right. get surgery in, like, October. Yeah. And it's like, oh, man, yeah. really? <laughs> like, wow. Right. Yeah, Jordan, definitely not happy about that. No. Phil says he kind of understood, like, you know, yeah, I, I kind of get, you know, where he's coming from on that. Uh, yeah, yeah, obviously, I think the the more famous example is Shaq doing on a company time um, that he would do later in, you know, 02 or 03 or whenever that was um, or, or to dealing with with his injury. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, it's a good look at um, at Pippen uh, overall, you know, his rise as a, um, you know, as a unheralded college player who didn't was the equipment manager when he was a freshman and then ends up being the number five pick overall. Um, you get the, you know, the uh, Pippins, uh, there's the, of course the, the famous um, video of Oakley uh, slapping and pushing Pippin around in a joking manner. I'm using the finger quotes there. Um, <laughs> about his neck for God's sake. Pippin did not look particularly happy in that no. situation, you know? <laughs> um, but you know, but you're not going to stand up to Big Oak when you're, you know, oh, a no, wiry no, twenty-one year old. Yeah, 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 He's yeah, Charles no. freaking Oakley. Like I would, I would stand up to Oakley. You know, and, and, and today, God no. I mean, geez, I never. I, I mean, I'm the, I'm not a fighter, so I would never stand up to. Him. But like, yeah, Charles Oakley's right. a, a monster, man. Nobody's. So yeah, if he's if he's choking, fake choking you and fake slapping you, you're just gonna be like, ah, yeah, yeah. This right. is what I want. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I. um but, you know, it's, it's a nice – obviously, we're going to dive more into um, there. You know, we, we get into um, – in the 97 portion, basically, you know, the Bulls are struggling early on in the season without Pippen. Uh, you see Jordan voicing his frustration, yelling at um, Harper and Coach during practice about not being in the right position or not moving fast enough or not, you know, uh, playing hard enough. You know, the Bulls struggle um, in, in the beginning of the, of, uh, of the 98 season. Um, you know, without them, there's, as you, as you said, you know, the lot of Chicago's on edge about it, about, you know, okay, yeah, maybe this is going to be a championship. Maybe they're not even, you know, going to make it very far in the playoffs kind of situation. Um, and then we, we cut back to 86, um, with the, uh, Jordan breaking his ankle. And, um, I, I think the most notable thing for me, um, is the Reinsdorf, uh, nine out of 10 pills, a uh, story, um, is, is probably the, uh, the, the, the most notable situation for me of Reinsdorf basically telling Jordan like, Hey, like if, 
you know, you had 10 pills here and nine of them were fine, but 10, the, the 10th would kill you. Uh, would you take them? And then Jordan's response is, well, it depends on how fucking bad the headache is. Um, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I mean, the overall situation is basically, yeah, Jordan broke his, um, was his foot or his ankle? I think it was his foot. Um, yeah, his foot, his foot. Third game of the season. He, uh, secretly went you know he, he went well he went back, back to college not secretly but he started you know um playing like competitive like practices and five on fives in north carolina came back to the bulls they were mad about it um they thought that there was you know too much of a risk for him to play they wanted to sit him out for the rest of the season but jordan basically kind of forced their hand and started playing but on limited minutes and uh then was Jordan was pretty sure that the team was intentionally trying to uh, tank the season to get a good draft pick. And uh, that soured his relationship with um, Kraus in particular and, and, and Reinsdorf to a degree, uh, you know, for the rest of his time there. Yeah. It's, it, I, I thought it was kind of interesting because that's a, a time period that they don't really talk too much about. And, and, you know, even me, I, I don't know that I knew too much about the tension between Kraus and, and, and Jordan that early. Uh, I knew obviously that that Jordan wanted to play when he returned, but I thought it was just basically like, "Hey, I want to play," and you know they're not letting me play type thing. I didn't quite know it was as much of of the you know him thinking that they had a losing attitude or him thinking that they didn't want to make the playoffs that they wanted a higher draft pick or or whatever. Which again is like you know at the time it's like, and I see people on Twitter being like, "Oh my god, what a terrible attitude that Jerry Krause has," and I'm like, "Half hey, you root for teams that do that every year in the playoffs and everybody loves it." Right. Like, you know yeah, I mean? right. Like, some of you were Sixers fans. Like your team willingly and said openly, "We're going to lose for four years." because it's going to be fine. And I was like, man, you can't be raking Jerry Cross over the coals for that. Like, that's a good move, honestly. But no, like, I, I get it. Like, yeah, I get, I get the tension that Jordan had. And it is pretty interesting, too, that, you know, right there you start seeing between Stan Elbeck and, and the coach at the time and Jerry Krause and the tension already there. So already from that point forward, from that year, it's already coach players versus management in a lot of ways, where Jerry Krause is trying to get into the room to say, hey, I cannot believe, you know, we'll talk about that game, uh, you know, here in a bit where, where, where Jordan, you know, was on a minutes restriction and Stan Elbeck went a little bit over that and let him play a little bit longer. And, you know, Jerry Krause is trying to get into the locker room to, to, to you know, scream at Elbeck or do whatever. And Elbeck just doesn't let him in. He just locks him out of the, the you know, the room or whatever. And that's going right. to kind of start that tension right there and start that, that the relationship. So I was I was kind of glad to hear that and, and glad to see that because I I had no idea that it had started that early. And I think that sort of sets the stage for what's going to happen now for, you know, what, what made everything so exhausting by when it was all done is it's like, oh, man, we've been doing this since 1987. For God's sake, we've been doing this over 10 right. years, this like push and pull and, and, and tension between these too so i was glad because i think that will help frame it a little bit better that that this last dance is is there's a lot building into this and a lot that's been going on already for the last decade or whatever and it's not just something that popped up the last two years or whatever so i thought that was that was cool and yeah there's a lot of stuff that i learned from that year as well and anytime we get to watch some some really old school like bad you know late 80s golden state warriors footage or stuff like that was pretty cool and i always do like that year too uh, when Jordan came in, he uh, per 36 minutes that year, uh, even with that minutes limit, 32.6 points per game uh, per 32 <laughs> minutes right there. Right. His second highest of all time, the, the highest he ever had, uh, was the next year where per 36, he had 33.4. So, yeah, he, he pops up off the bench, plays his whatever, you know, 20 minutes a game or whatever, uh, seven yeah. minutes and a half or all that sort of stuff. And still, you know, I think at the end of the year, he still averaged 22 points a game, which is just unbelievable. Uh, right. But that's, you know, Michael Jordan, good player. Hey, when you've got Gene Banks feeding you, you know, you're obviously <laughs> right going to. Oh, yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. 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 We have the, the, the corpse yeah. of George Gervin on your, you know, and Rod Higgins. Yeah. <laughs> you know? right. We saw yeah. a lot of George Gervin. I was glad. So, 
Yeah. No Mike yeah, Smrek was... yet, but uh, maybe. No, you know, no, maybe. no Mike Smrek, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know when or yeah. why or how, but I think, I think I'm hopeful. Uh, hey, I'm hopeful too. Yeah. Um, you know, I, the, I think the highlight for me, uh, another highlight for me was the footage of Jordan scoring 63 uh, on the Celtics to L. Cool J's I'm Bad, which is uh, one of my favorite yeah, songs how good from is that? that time. So that was really good. Yeah. Yeah, the music's really good overall. I mean, they, they do a really nice job of picking, like, very cool but period appropriate music for um uh for everything so um so yeah uh, very cool i i think the uh of course the fashions are another standout i i honestly i think the 90s fashions are like more jarring to me than the 80s ones like i, I feel like the 90s ones have aged more poorly than than the 90s ones have aged more poorly than the 80s ones. oh for sure oh yeah yeah, yeah. 90s fashion yeah. is is it's bad it's not yeah good. <laughs> i not lived good. it I, you know I, yeah. I i was a part of it you were a part of it we all were right. uh, i yeah. don't know what we were doing yeah i don't know why yeah. we, we we wore the thing we wore the, but the 80s is more endearingly bad it's bad too but it's more i don't know it's more quaint for right and the 70s yeah. the same way too like the 70s i sure. i like the 70s fashion there's a lot of people that don't right. but i like the idea that like people just look like they were wearing like curtains <laughs> it's like pants right. you know like, yes yeah exactly yeah people wearing couches as pants or whatever and i was like you know that's kind of cool but yeah the the 90s it's just like things are like weirdly baggy and the designs are all terrible and it's people always had weird hats there's always terrible hats in the 90s like terrible hats jordan was not not the good unfortunately the problem with michael jordan is one of the worst all-time like dressers of all time right so, yeah he was i know nothing about very, fashion but i know that michael jordan right. has no idea about fashion like he was very unfashionable still, yeah like he yeah, shows like, one like, of the interviews yeah. i thought he was wearing swim trunks and i look and they're like i guess they're like the army fatigue they were like i guess like uh, yeah. camouflage but they were like blue and i'm like man like you're michael jordan like just pay somebody to say here michael put this on and then he goes okay yeah. and he puts it on like if i was rich i would just have somebody that said here's what you wear to go out i would go thank you that that makes things a lot easier and i would go out retire, and wear it. hire clyde frazier you know just uh, but, right you know, yeah hire clyde, but that would, that would I, easy. It. yeah but it's endearing yeah. at this point too where like he's wearing like a triple xl like you know under armor blue and you're like what are you doing <laughs> like why are you still dressing like this yeah. Well, Jordan is so like he's he's weird because he is so of course, you know, he's one of the more most popular athletes of all time, the, the biggest basketball star of all time. Um and, and in a certain way is extremely cool, but is so not cool in in other ways. Um that it's almost hard to judge overall whether Michael Jordan is actually cool. I mean, I I think of like, you know, I think of Jordan in the same way that I think of Miss America. Like Miss America is extremely beautiful, but there's no way Miss America be, can be sexy. And I feel the same way about Michael Jordan. Like Michael Jordan can, you know, is like this stunning, huge, popular star. But I don't think Jordan, after a certain point, could ever be cool. Right, right. There, there was a point too, like in the in the '90s, where people did sort of start dressing and acting and and and, and mimicking Jordan a lot. But then, like we all kind of moved on and he's kind of right. there still. Yeah. And it is kind of interesting to see that because you're, you're mentioning the nineties, you're mentioning the weird stuff that he was wearing, but it's time a lot of stuff that he was doing that the, the hats that he was wearing, the, the style of like, he always wore like turtlenecks and, and, and whatnot. And that sort of stuff became popular and people started really kind of wearing that and adapting that the bald head that became like a real in thing. Um, and then like, yeah, the, the problem is like, you know, in like 2001 and 2002, we all moved in this one direction and Michael's just kind of, uh, right. Still there, but uh, in a way, it's kind of endearing, like you, you said. So yeah, sure, sure. Uh, anything else before we go? Uh, not really. I thought um, you know the, the overall, I re- really did enjoy it, and I thought there was some really cool stuff. And yeah, I'm I'm, I'm interested to see uh, moving forward more than anything the as you said, kind of the 
the way that they're clipping this together and a lot of the music they've used so far has been really, really cool. Um, the two hours flew by. I, I couldn't believe I had been sitting there for yeah, two hours right. watching yeah. it. Uh, very few commercials I thought was pretty cool um, as well because you, you never felt like you were left a story. You felt like you were kind of always in the story and ready for the story. I did see some people complaining about the bouncing around, but I think they did a really good job of telling you that they were bouncing around and, and literally in some cases showing you where they were bouncing around. Like they had like the little timeline thing that would be like, Hey, 1986, right. yeah. like to uh, tell I, you, Hey, this is why we're going back to here. And this is, so I get that. Like some people might not have liked that. It was bouncing back and forth, but I appreciate that. I like, cause you need to tell the stories of the past to tell the story of whatever they're going to tell right now. So I had no issue with that, but I, I did see some people had, had, had a few complaints I, about it. So. Yeah. I thought they did a good job of making connections between what they're talking about in the past and, and in the, the, well, the present of the movie, which is 98. So, um, yeah, no, I, I I didn't have an issue with that. That'll be interesting to see how that continues. So, mm-hmm. cool. Well, everyone, um, thanks for uh, hanging out with us. Of course, um, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Over and Back NBA. Uh, if you like what we're doing, please leave a rating on review, rating or review um, on uh, Stitcher or uh, Apple Podcasts, wherever we, we're pretty much everywhere. If you want to uh, do that, and also we're at um, we're at the Step Back at uh, Fansider.com. So all mm-hmm. great NBA coverage there. So. Check that out, and until next time, back again soon. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.